everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in life, and my wife, Rachel. Applause, Duffy. So, Sean, we're at the kitchen table, but we've been dreaming about being... At the farm table? At the farm table. We're dreaming of a farm. And you got the chance um, through your show, The Bottom Line, on Fox Business at 6 p.m. Eastern every day. You got a chance to go to a homesteaders conference and you came home with so much information. You make butter now uh, ever since the conference. I make butter every uh, sauerkraut. He made applesauce and canned it. He almost burned the house down making candles. He's inspired. Um, and one of the people that inspired him was a farmer and he's an author. He's a lecturer. He was there. Sean got a chance to talk to him and sort of get all kinds of information, but we're going to get more. And that is Joel Salatin. Joel, welcome to the kitchen table. Thank you. It's a delight to, to be with you at your kitchen's table. Yes. Oh, it's so great. So why don't we just start like right from the get-go? Because a lot of people are feeling this call with all the craziness going on in the world, um, things they feel like they can't control. They want to go back to nature. They want to go back to food that they actually recognize and growing it and not being dependent on big food and, and big pharma and all these things that are trying to control our lives. And they talk about going back and getting farmland. I, I know more people in New York City that are buying properties in Tennessee, in Arkansas, in Georgia. So let's start from the get-go. What does it mean to homestead? Well, what it means is that you, you start to take personal responsibility for very foundational aspects of your life. And we, we have been told for a long time, you don't need to worry about, you know, cooking. You don't need to worry about a pantry. Just let, you know, let uh, Hot Pockets and Lunchables take care of you. Gross. And, and you'll be okay. And what we've learned here in the last couple of years is that, um, that true freedom, true liberty comes from participating in the fundamental elements of life. You don't become free by abandoning the most basic elements of life. Oh my God, I just love the way you said that. It's exactly what I'm thinking and I've never said, but yeah, you know, wow. We came out and saw you as Robert Dagan, um, my co-host, and um, you were the first person we talked to at the homestead and it was so inspiring. And I, Rachel mentioned, I came back and made applesauce <laughs> because you said, I love applesauce. I eat applesauce every single day. And but I don't have apple trees. So I went to love apples in New Jersey where we live. So we went and picked apples. We went to a farm. We picked apples on my birthday. I paid out of my wazoo uh to pick these apples. Um, but I made applesauce and it actually it's it tastes it tastes great. Nothing added. But again, you always talk about getting back to your food source and uh and you talk about the pandemic and what the pandemic when they went to the grocery store and all of a sudden right. the, the, the shelves weren't stacked with all the food and accoutrements that people were used to, that people became afraid and concerned because w without a grocery store, they don't know how to do anything. And uh, you wrote a book called Home Dead Tsunami, which you gave me. And I started to read, I think I'm on chapter eight, chapter nine. Talk about the homestead tsunami and what COVID had to do with people rethinking the order of their lives. Mm. Yeah. So, so what happened was when you have a black swan event like that, for the first time, people went to the, people went to the grocery store and shelves were empty. And, and then they started reading about, you know, millions of chickens being incinerated because they couldn't get them, mm. get, get processed. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of pigs being in, incinerated 
because they couldn't be uh, processed. And we began to realize that this this uh, efficient, supposedly efficient chain of custody that we'd had in our food system was actually very, very fragile. And um, I mean, during during 2020, two million. You ready for this? Two million backyard flocks of chickens started in the United States. You know, in August wow. of 2020, the number one Google uh, recipe on the Google charts was how to make sourdough mother, sour, sourdough bread. Yeah, people were making sourdough bread, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so, so what happened was, as people realized that their uh, dependency on a, you know, on a long chain of custody in their food system and a very, I would say, a very opaque chain of custody in their food system, nobody knows what goes on behind those, you know, big razor wire fences, nobody, mm-hmm. and that coupled then with, with distrust you know, if you're looking at any of the uh, uh, Gallup polls right now, every single major American institution from the government to schools to, uh, you know, hospitals to everything it, it is the, the level of trust in all those things is dropping. And so what I hear, what I hear people saying or asking for is show me how to disentangle. How can I disentangle from the system? And it's not just, you know, uh, uh, some old, you know, mad dash to whatever, you know, to, to do to self-reliance. It's a new level of a lack of faith, if you will, a lack of faith in these old institutions that we've had. And, and, yeah. um, and, and so you have. So what happens is the empty store shelves make people afraid and they begin to run and, you know, running away. When you're fearful and you're running away, that's a good thing. But eventually, you can't run away forever. You have to stop running and you have to you have to stop and embrace and start a new a new place. And that's what the homesteading movement is that that people people running away in fear have now realized I can't run away forever. I have to stop somewhere and I have to put down roots. And that's what's happening. And people are putting down roots. They're starting to plant apple trees. And have a milk cow, and have a have a a, a, a grinding mill, you know, uh, in their in their kitchen, and mm-hmm. um, and, and and starting to to um, abandon Netflix in favor of finding a farmer and getting a direct a direct source. I mean, we don't raise enough apples for ourselves. We you know we go to an orchard and we get apples and we make our own applesauce. We you know we we don't produce everything ourselves, but we uh, we put a lot of attention on finding provenance and sources you know, nearby that that don't require, um, you know, Russian uh, chemical fertilizer that don't require uh, mm-hmm. great big centralized processing facilities. You know, um, an obvious question is what, what would the would the would the food system has had have had as big a shock if instead of the United States being supplied by 300 mega processing facility funnels coming down with our food supply? If instead we'd been supplied by three hundred thousand uh, small local neighborhood, you know, abattoirs and canneries and and that sort of and and sourdough makers, bakers, um, you know, would we have had as big a shock? When you have you know rocky shoals and and choppy you know seas, you want to be not in an aircraft carrier. You want to be in a speedboat so you can navigate a rocky you know a rocky shore. And when we have dysfunction in our system. What you want is a lot of decentralization 
democratization within the system so that it can so that so that the the vehicles the vehicles are not so big and they can you know uh, and they're a lot more resilient resilience is now replacing efficiency so i think i mean there's so many things exploding in my head as i'm listening to you i think one that covid happened and people who were healthy survived it better and that a lot of the food that we're getting through these processors that you talk about, um, that this opaque system of making bread that we don't even know what it is in there in the, in the end, um, that this stuff isn't making us healthy. But there's another thing happening. You know, you feel out of control in that situation that you talked about, but a lot of people forgot how to do these things. These were things our grandmothers knew how to do and we stopped knowing how to do it. So I think, you know, Sean has said, this year, after he met with you and everybody at the homestead conference, he said, this year, he didn't, he didn't wait until New Year's to have the resolution, by the way. He started as soon as he came home. He said, this is going to be my year and our family's year of learning how to do stuff. And Though, I, I didn't say actually stop. I used a different word. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he the said he wanted to do sh-. And it's like, this is what? the stuff that, you know, our grandmothers yeah. knew how to can. Our grandmothers knew how to, you know, make bread. Yeah. Our grandmothers knew how to plant a garden, um, you know, in the backyard vegetables. and canned vegetables. So it's also about reviving these skills and this sense of resourcefulness that really was all, I mean, really was the American spirit in so many ways, right? Yeah, it, it, sure, it sure was. In fact, if you want a nice little soundbite, I would suggest this. The new 401k plan, the new 401k plan is living in community with people who know how to grow things, fix things, and build things. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That is the soundbite of the show. Uh, Exactly. And by the way- I I love it. I'm writing it down. I look at our 401k and I'm like, the best thing we can invest in is a farm. Yes. Uh, And we talked actually- That's what we're talking about. You you mentioned Joel's self-reliance, but I I do think self-reliance equals freedom. Um, If you can rely on yourself and your family and your neighbors and your friends, and you're self-contained and, and you're more re- resilient as opposed to efficient, which you talk a lot about, which I find really interesting, the resilience of a food system as opposed to the efficiency of a food system, which is centralized, really important. Um, but I, I want to go to your philosophy of, of farming. You mentioned chemicals coming from Russia. You don't use chemicals. I don't believe you use any GMO no. seeds. No. You're like, you're, you're going... You're going the, the, the natural way that probably our forefathers farmed 100 years ago. Talk about the philosophy of what you do on your farm and, and why you do it. Yeah, so our, our, our philosophy is we look at, we look at um, you know, how, how did God set all this up? You know, how was it designed and how can we duplicate that on a personal level? And how so, big is your farm? Uh, so we, we own 950 acres. Uh, so we're, we're, we're not really a homestead. Yeah. I, I, I say I, I've I've lived in both those worlds. When we came to the farm in 1961, my mom and dad bought bought it in 1961. Um, I was just four years old, and for the first ten years, uh, it was basically a glorified homestead. We milked a couple cows, we raised a couple pigs, we had a big garden, we ate you know our own food, uh, had our own firewood, that sort of thing. And um, when I came back to the farm full time, uh, September 24, 1982, that was my golden day in life. I was uh, actually a newspaper reporter, so I I um, I'm I'm a news I'm a newsaholic, okay. And uh, 
So I came back to the farm full-time September 24, 1982. And at that point, we actually tried to convert it from a homestead scale thing into an actual commercial uh, place. And, and we, we did it. We were successful at doing that. So we look around at nature and say, well, how does nature do things? Well, you know, uh, it doesn't confine animals in a, in a building. Uh, they, they, they run out. And so we, we pasture our chickens. Cows don't eat grain uh, and they don't eat dead chickens and chicken feathers. They eat grass. They're, they're fermentation tanks, you know, of, of uh, cellulitic structure. And so we, you know, we grass finish our cows. They never go in a feedlot. They, uh, and how, you know, how does nature create immunity? Well, it creates a, a habitat that's conducive to a good immune system. And so we don't vaccinate. We don't mRNA. We don't uh, use any of that stuff. Uh, we don't use antibiotics. Uh, but what we do do is have a, an environment, a, a habitat for all of our animals that is conducive to a really, really great immune system, which includes a habitat that allows the chicken to express its chickenness and the pig its pigness. I would suggest that a culture that fails to ask how to have happy pigs will also fail to ask how to have happy girls and boys yes. and, and, and people. And so if we're going to create a respect for each other, it starts with those of us with the pig, with the chicken, with the tomato, respecting and honoring the tomatoness of tomato, the pigness of the pig. And, and they, 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 were not, they were not built for all of the, um, you know, the, the, the pharmacology and the pesticides and the herbicides and the chemicals mm. uh, that were, you know, that we're giving them. And, and in fact, our bodies are not made for the stuff, for, for eating stuff that we can't right. pronounce. Uh, you know, right. we, we were not designed to eat stuff we can't pronounce. We're the first generation that, that routinely eats things that you can't make in your own kitchen. Here we are sitting around our kitchen table, and most Americans today are going to eat a lot of what they eat are going to be things that you can't even make in your own kitchen. We'll have more of this conversation after this. How did you know so far? I mean, so you did that and you were doing this in the 80s. I think a lot of what you're talking about, you know, the sort of farm to table, mm -hmm. you know, trendy movement we see now and, and people understanding that, you know, Lunchables isn't real food. That seems like you figured that out a long time before most Americans did. Uh, by the way, I grew up in a household. My mom is, is European. My dad grew up sort of in a farmish type community um, in Southern, in Southern Arizona, Mexican American family. So, I mean, they were not the average American, but I remember in the eighties, you know, this thing called TV dinners. Even my parents were like, this is this really cool thing. TV dinners and they heated it up and we thought it was a really special meal. And, and, and that trend went away and we went back to eating normal, you know, good food. But so how did you figure this out? Like was feeding us organic food his, way back then. She was ahead of her time. She was like you ahead of your time. So how did you figure it out? That's so true about your mom. Yeah, that's great. So, so my, my grandfather uh, out in Indiana was a chart in, in the night, mid 1940s. So this is just post World War II right there was a charter subscriber to Robert Rodale's Organic Gardening and Farming uh, magazine uh, and, and had a big compost pile. And a lot of people don't realize that right there post-World War II, there was a, there was a huge uh, uh, tension in the country, whether we would go chemical-oriented or whether we would go, uh, I'll just say compost-oriented, so I have two, mm. two, uh, two alliteration, compost or chemicals, you know? 
and, and which way are we going to go? Uh, because here, I mean, in, in this area of Virginia, uh, in the 1950s, people still often were farming with, with horses still. Uh, and, and so, so uh, you know, we didn't get rural electrification until what, you know, the late 1950s. And so, um, so there was a real tension in the country at, at that time. And so my grandfather really embraced, and Rodale, of course, uh, with, with the Rodale Institute in, in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, was the, was the granddaddy of this movement. There were people like Louis Bromfield, Lady Eve Balfour. I mean, I, I have a whole, you know, a whole uh, uh, litany of, of the legacy people, the icons, you know, uh, Sir Albert Howard, uh, Ed Faulkner, who wrote Plowman's Folly in 1950. And think about that. In six months, he sold 500,000 copies of wow. Plowman's Folly in 1950, a, a, a book that, that decried plowing, you know, and, and its erosive content. So so um, so dad grew up, you know, steeped in this in this ecological bent. And dad was a was a, a, a business. He was an economist. He was a tax accountant by trade. And so he pushed a sharp pencil and he he realized that the the chemical approach is like a drug addiction. You know, you, you got to keep getting more potent stuff. It becomes more expensive and mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's like a drug addiction. And, and you, you've got to get off of that treadmill. And so, again, farmers as well as people have been told, you know, let Russia take care of your fertilizer. It's OK. It comes in a little bag. You spread it and it's OK. And then suddenly we have a black swan like Ukraine getting invaded. Suddenly it goes up 400 percent. And all the farmers are saying, hey, what's going on on our farm? It wasn't even a, a, a bobble on our farm. We don't buy the stuff. So it, it right. didn't affect us at all. Who really had the freedom? The freedom were people like us who still who still believed in compost and, and decomposition, uh, the, the carbon nitrogen uh, cycle, if you will, the carbon economy, and participated in it. The ones who said, oh, we can shortcut that and just get this stuff in a bag, and, and, and that'll give us more time to watch the football game. And and you know and go on Caribbean cruises uh, that'll that'll give us uh, freedom. Those folks actually that freedom was not freedom. It was enslavement. It was enslavement to um, uh, to to you know foreign uh, powers and geopolitical issues and and that sort of thing. So mm. you know, that so that's Joel, kind of that's kind of how we got here. So Joel, obviously if you're not enslaved to to the you know folks over in in Russia. Um, and you're doing this all kind of self-contained. Obviously, the, the, the leaders in farming and in government go, this guy's amazing. We got to follow him. He's a patriot. Uh, uh, Sean, that's what you call a baited question. Uh, that's a bad, I know he answered uh, this question. You know, no, listen, uh, listen uh, um, as they say in France, au contraire, uh, the... Uh, the uh, the actual response from the orthodoxy, from the establishment is, you know, we're we're called uh, and we've had people call us this. I mean, I've been called to my face um, a bioterrorist, um, a typhoid Mary. Yeah. Yeah. Because because since we don't since we don't vaccinate and medicate, our animals have to be sick. And that sickness is going to make the neighbor's animals sick and they're going to lose their farm right. because I was so negligent. I didn't use, you know, the, the pharmacological uh, um, your recipe. Yeah. And so and so uh, we are we are not loved uh, in the orthodox uh, orthodox community. Uh, and um, that's- it's catching on, though. I mean, I think what you're doing is catching. By the way, your tomatoes probably taste better than the than the than the big farm tomatoes. Of course, that's true. Um, same with the meat. Yeah. Same with the meat. Um, OK, so let's talk about how to, because I think maybe before we get to how to, I, I'm, I'm going to back up for just a second. 
Let's talk about not just the the growth. You talked about the four hundred one. The new four hundred one k is living in community with people who know how to do things. I mean, this is a, a transformative statement. But there's a there's not. It's not just about the food itself. There's a spiritual thing about this. Let's talk about that. What's the spiritual component when you live closer to your food source and in community like that with other people who are connected to God's, you know, nature? Yeah. So, yes, I appreciate you bringing that up because we live. Look, let's just let's just juxtapose it when when you live and, and listen, I don't think cities are evil. OK, don't I mean, don't even read any end of this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we have cities because that's where people can can get together and and brainstorm how to have a computer. OK, uh, if it if <laughs> bit, um, and we, maybe we could debate whether we should have computers or not. But but my <laughs> point is, I'm, I'm kind of glad we have them. I'd, I'd much rather type on a on a laptop than a than a uh, Olivetti typewriter. But the, the, the point is, a lot of creativity comes out of the city. But the problem with the city is that you are completely surrounded by humanness by things that humans have made, the asphalt, the traffic lights, the cars, the, you know, the houses, everything is man-made. Whereas in the, in, in, in a rural setting, you're surrounded by things that man didn't made, make trees, cows, deer, wild turkeys, you know, uh, grass. And I think that it gives us a greater understanding of our dependency. You know, as a culture now with all of our screen time and video games and all that stuff, I'm very concerned that we are we are becoming um, so hyped up on our own cleverness and technology that we actually believe we can we can levitate into some sort of a Star Trek future uh, mm-hmm. and and eliminate our anchor to this ecological umbilical. And and uh, uh, I would suggest that 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 moves us into a place of a lack of common sense, a lack of reality. And you can see politically, I don't know if the kitchen table gets very political or not, but but you can oh, see it. In, oh, in, it in, sure in, does here. You can see it in the blue-red divide. I mean, there's no question, but well, the urban sector is very blue, the rural sector is very red. Well, what is the difference? Well, the difference is that out here in, I'll just say in red country, we're surrounded by things that don't care if Democrats or Republicans are in the White House. You know, the, the cows are always happy to see us. The rain comes and goes. The snow comes and goes. Things happen. And so we know that there is a there is a, a stability and there's a, there's a universe that a, that's, we get to viscerally touch and participate in uh, something that's way bigger than ourselves. We're not we're not the center of anything. We are simply uh, pilgrims through some great big cosmic uh, uh, thing that's happening outside of us in the city. It's easy. It's easy to think, look what we did. Look what I did. Look, you know, I'm surrounded by my own, you know, uh, 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 advancements and, and technology. And we can easily lose sense of things that are as basic as water and basic as air, human nature and, and those kinds of things. And you go down, you know, this this strange path of, you know, everything from, you know, from socialism to uh, to victimization and entitlement. We understand here. If we don't plant the tomato, we don't eat the tomato. If we don't milk the cow, we don't get milk. And so there's a, there's a very personal responsibility that creates authenticity and integrity within the living sphere. It's humility. Not, I think what you're talking somebody, about is humility. 
it creates humility. You understand your place in the universe. Yes, well, yes, you're exactly right. When I think of people who homestead originally before I saw you, I'd go, I know those hippies, those, you know, Birkenstock wearing liberal, you know, long hair, dread, maybe, maybe a little extra smell. Yeah. Um, that would be my thought of the homesteader. Yeah. And if, if after I talked to you, you were like, actually, that might have been true X number of decades ago, but you've seen a lot more cons- conservative minded people coming back to go, I'm going to, I'm going to try my hand at homesteading mm. myself. Talk about the politics of, of, of homesteading and who's actually doing it. Yeah. What a great, what a great point. So, um, you know, I've been at this a long, long time. And I remember in the early eighties, uh, even in the, even in the seventies, when we started direct marketing and started getting a, a customer base and things for our meats and eggs and stuff, um, almost all the visitors to the farm, I'm going to say probably 90% were exactly as you described, Sean, they're, you know, they're earth muffin, gay, a worshiping, tree hugging, commie pinkos, you know, they're, they're beaded, bearded, brawless, uh, hippie uh, uh, dropouts. Tommy <laughs> pinkos. I love all of your adjectives. Go for it. And you know what? Then, then the homeschooling movement happened. Mm. The homeschooling movement was a, was a cataclysmic shift because suddenly the the people the 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 conservatives who had I'm getting chill bumps even talking about it the conservatives who were the stalwarts of of status quo of establishment suddenly began to say you know these revered establishment institutions you know the fed the public school system may not be our best friend and 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 mm-hmm. and suddenly there was a cataclysmic shift and our customer base and the people who visited the farm interested in things like, you know, compost and grass finished beef um, suddenly became about 50 50, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the liberals and the conservatives. And it was quite it was quite a shift. And and I think that this this um, this homestead movement, um, if you will, was was also. I mean, look, look, yeah, exactly. Look at the hippie movement of the 1970s, the back to the land movement. It was very much a liberal, you know, kind of socialistic commie uh, deal. But then we have the homeschool movement. And, and what I saw was as conservatives dropped out of establishment norms and found satisfaction in homeschooling, for example, they started looking around. You, you, you know, look, when you opt out, when you go unorthodox, and you find it soul satisfying. The next thing is, mm. what else have I been missing? And suddenly right. you see, they're going to chiropractors and acupuncturists, and you know, uh, yep. and, and you you got a grain mill on the thing, and and, and you know you got raised beds, gardens, and, and suddenly you know, and and canned goods, and they're getting you know, uh, 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 get getting in touch with their local, uh, going down to farmers market, things like that. And, and what happens is, um, this whole this whole kind of uh, awareness, awakening uh, within the conservative community, which was obviously part of Trump, okay? Um, yeah. And, and I, I don't want to, you know, get too far down a rabbit hole here, but but this was all part of it. And we we have we have a a great awakening, if you will, at the grassroots of our culture. Let, let me let me give you one really quick story. 
I was doing a um, I was doing a, a chicken a chicken butchering demonstration down in uh, Tennessee uh, for a what bunch a of practical people. lecture. I wish they taught this at Harvard. Like this is the kind of actual stuff our kids need to learn. Go ahead. Well, so my my partner in crime there, Dave Schaefer, who's the founder of uh, Featherman Plucker, uh, uh, who is uh, you know uh, has small scale you know backyard chicken butchering equipment. He says what we need, we, we need to have as many little uh, backyard chicken pluckers as we have lawnmowers. He says, when we have that, we'll know we've really arrived somewhere. But, but anyway, we, so we have 300, 300 uh, uh, you know, people uh, uh, standing around to watch this chicken processing demonstration. And, uh, and he asked, he, and they're, you know, they're all uh, late 30s, mid 40s, maybe some of them as, or, as old as 50. They've all got kids, you know, and they're anywhere from 5 to 10, 12, early teens. And he asked the group, 300 of them, he said, how many of you, when you were 16, ever thought you'd ever be interested in butchering a chicken? And in that whole crowd of 300 people, two, two hands went up, only two people. Folks, we are in a homestead tsunami. There is an awareness uh, of, of what's going on. There is a, a disenfranchisement economies to schools to medical professions and I'll tell you what I, I don't know I don't know where things are going in the culture I, I I don't have a good feeling about I think we're in for some rough waters um yeah. ahead but um you know if there's one thing and and Rachel you kind of alluded to it there early if there's one thing that you don't want to be if the if the wheels fall off if the wheels fall off there's one thing you don't want to be you don't want to be sick you don't want to be the one lying in the bed back there saying, hey, as y'all are leaving, uh, can you take me with you? And, and, and this is all part of that. We, we want to be aware. We want to be situationally aware. We want, to be, we want to be Army Rangers. We want to be, you know, we want to be ready to, um, to handle what's coming down. That means we want to have some energy independency. We want some food independency. We want some some, you know, we, we want to be able to to go out in the backyard and know what to do with dandelion and chicory uh, herbs that grow everywhere that people poison in their yards because they're weeds, but they actually have tremendous medicinal qualities. Plantain. I mean, I mean, we have this cornucopia of herbs, and and uh, and nobody uses them because they're dependent on you know the pharma the the, the pharmaceutical companies. And those uh, are those old. Those are those old. Like you know, yes. when I was growing up. When there was a problem, my mom knew which herbs and which teas yes. to give us. Um, there was always, so I think Sean and I started because his mom was absolutely revolutionary. We should do a whole podcast on, on his mom in the eighties, just seventies and eighties, just ahead of her time, just like you. And my parents just sort of were old school in that way. And, and, you know, they never get over medicated us, never, you know, went to, to pharma, uh, pharmacological things as their first source of, of helping us. They'd say, drink water. Um, you know, and things like that. Run so, some dirt on yeah, it. run some dirt on it. So, so we kind of, and so our trajectory was, you know, when we first got married, we were part of a co-op. Sean was like the only Republican and we lived in this Libo town and, um, Ashland, Wisconsin. And Sean was on the board of the food co-op. I mean, the only Republican in there. Um, and we had tons of kids. So we were like big, big customers there. Um, and, and then, you know, that was like, we always kind of, kind of crunchy con. We called ourselves crunchy cons, right? Uh, we were crunchy conservatives, you know, kind of understood the, the, but then it was, as you j- described, you know, the, you, you, you described the home, the homeschool movement, but then came 
COVID and that deep distrust. And that's what really got us really on this trajectory, meeting you, on um, all these things happened. And now we're on the path that we agree with you completely. We want to own a farm. Now you own 900 acres. I guess what I want to, you, you just need five acres, I suppose, to, 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 to do this, right? I mean, Give somebody who's listening sort of, you know, what's the entry level? How do you start? How do you start? What what do you need to be thinking about? Where should you put this farm? Um, give us some, if if you were consulting a family like ours, Let's what would you consulting, say? Yeah, but 53-year-old couple with nine kids, youngest one with Down syndrome, only four years old. <laughs> from Wisconsin, we're now living in New Jersey. And they want to buy a farm as their 401k. Where would, where do we go? How much do we need at a minimum in terms of land? Um, just give us the, give us the lowdown. Give us the skinny. Well, that's a, that's a tall recipe here, but uh, let, let me say that, that it starts, it, it starts in your mind. And, and the mm-hmm. fact, the fact that Sean left that HOA, that Home Centers of America conference and went, and, and, and Rachel and you, it, you went out and you, you picked some apples, you brought them home and you made applesauce. That's the homesteader's mentality. And I even can the applesauce. Here's the problem, though, Joel. I it, Joel. He, so here's how I knew what Sean was up to. Because he was on Am- Amazon, started delivering uh, tons, of- tons of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we still had to depend on Jeff Bezos. But the stuff's here. Okay. So that's fair enough. But where I'm going with this is that you need to go ahead and start I say uh, you've got to do what you can with where you are to to start down the mental path, the emotional mental path of of um, of disentanglement. And so there's a lot of things you can do in an urban sector. I mean, you can have a you can have a vermicomposting kit under your kitchen sink. Forget the garbage disposal. You know, uh, uh, um, do a vermicomposting that that's red wiggler worms, by the way. And mm-hmm. uh, you can use that in you know your flower pots and things. You can hang. You can hang uh, herbal gardens. You can get these cool PVC PVC hanging gardens with pockets built into them that you can grow all your fresh herbs on the on the patio. You know, hanging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can have a you can have a, a hive of bees. Uh, you can, I mean, in in my book uh, Polyface Micro, um, I talk about how to have rabbits and chickens in a Manhattan apartment. Uh, you know, you you you, oh. you, you can. Yeah, you, <laughs> Yeah, you, you can do this. Okay, stuff. okay, but I get that. Okay, I'm, I, but I'm there mentally. I'm there mentally. Now I want to go big, but I yeah. can't go 900 acres. So right, right, right. What's the minimum for uh, you know a family? And and we want to live like with our. We want to have enough land for our kids to kind of also eventually grow and live around us. Some a cow, a couple, a couple pigs, yeah, chickens, a farm, a, a garden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know. You're, I mean, obviously it depends on where you are. If you're in, if you're in Nevada, it takes a lot more land than if you're in, you know, New York or, or Connecticut or Massachusetts, uh, let's say just east of the Mississippi, but yeah, east of the Mississippi, generally, you know, somewhere in the, in the five to five to 10 acre, uh, area is plenty enough to have, you know, to, to grow a beef, to have a couple hogs, to have, you know, plenty of eggs and, and grow all of your chicken, have a few fruit trees, all your garden produce. Uh, your raspberries, blackberries, uh, grape arbor, um, you know, all that, you know, five to 10 acres is, is plenty for that east of the Mississippi. Now, if you're out in, you know, if you're out in, in arid, arid country, you know, it'd take a little more. We'll have more of this conversation after this. 
So Joe, can I tell you what you mentioned bees? I, when I, right down the street from where you were at this homesteaders conference was a bee guy. I think his name is B is bee cap. He's out of Tennessee. And yeah. he was selling hives, like a starter hive with the, I don't know, but what, what you put in there to, to, to get a feral group of bees to come in in the spring. But yeah. a week ago, I bought a, I bought a hive from him and it's coming and it's a small. I didn't know about this. Hive. I'm just learning about yeah. this right now. Um, the, the, the shipping was There's like, so many weird things that come to my house now, Joel. Shipping, I love it. The shipping was as much almost as the hive itself. But I'm like, I'm going to try to catch bees this spring. And, and he was talking about honey and he's like, when you get uh, honey from the store, oftentimes the bees were fed sugar water and sugar water honey is different than the, the honey that you get from bees that actually go on flowers and buds and pollinate. That, that honey is really good for you and really nutritious. But the honey water honey, the, the, the sugar water honey, not the same thing. And I'm like, I've never heard of this before. And, and honey is so good for you, too. And a year later, you come back and you can harvest your honey. You might get stung a little bit, but you get your honey. I'm like, this is great. We're going to go do honey as well. People can actually do that in an apartment as well, Joel. To, sure. I don't recommend the bees. The bees in the apartment? Go to the balcony. Oh, sure. The, yes. Yeah, on, on the balcony or, or on the roof or, or on the roof, uh, especially if you, you know, if you have a flat roof. But um yeah, th- there are there are so many things that you can do on a on a, a tiny acreage. I just ran into a lady uh, doing a presentation at a, at a conference lately, and she showed me pictures of her backyard. She had a a nine hundred square foot backyard, so that's not a lot. You know, that's uh, that's like a forty you know forty by forty five foot, not very big. And and she had she had a, a six chickens, a little greenhouse raised beds and and her and she and her she had like four kids and they were literally feeding themselves off of this 900 square foot um 900 square foot backyard so she didn't have a lawn the lawn was gone okay but but she had this this incredibly productive backyard garden set up and so you know there there are lots of things that you can do even in the city but yeah um i will tell you that the price the price of these five to ten acre homestead what we call little farmettes farmettes is sky high right now because of the homestead tsunami because so many people are coming out and lots of times now if you have the wherewithal you can actually get 30 or 40 acres for about the same price as as five to ten you know simply because of the of the attractiveness of those very very small acreages you make a really good point. It's, it's remarkable the cost of land uh, through through. You start going to West Virginia to Kentucky and Tennessee, Arkansas, Missouri, sky high. But a place land is and I've looked at. I, I spent a lot. He of time spends time on Zillow. A lot of time on uh, Zillow. But, not, yeah, but the the issue is Southern Virginia, where you're at. Um, yeah, maybe a little further west. It is. Um, it's remarkable how uh, how. The price of land is far fairer, far more value. It seems like in Southern Virginia. Am I wrong? Yeah, there, there are there are absolutely pockets, um, you know, all over the country where you know where where land you know is is cheaper or or more. Um, uh, in general, in general, I like to see somebody buy land a little more expensive that's closer to a city than get a larger acreage way way far away, simply because. You know, near the city, you're you're nearer 
you're nearer markets. If you if you produce extra and you want to sell it, yeah, you're close to yep. markets. Uh, you know, every every trip for supplies doesn't cost you an Stay arm and a leg and wool and everything else. And, and so there there are advantages in uh, in locating near an urban sector uh, as opposed to going clear, you know, clear out to the boonies. Uh, and, and so, especially too, if you, you know, if you like museums and art and, and, uh, sure. and culture, uh, you know, I, they're, they're you a- know what else, Joel, because we, we've been talking about like having enough land. So we hope that our children will want to live near us and on that land, you know, and, but if it's too far away from the city, you know, they're still young and we want them to be able to, you know, not feel like they're isolated out in the middle of, of, of nowhere. I think all of this is, um, is beyond fast. By the way, the price also going up because the Chinese are buying the land and Bill Gates is buying farmland. Another reason why Americans, individual families, um, should start buying land and, and making sure that it doesn't go into the hands of others. Um, uh, that, yep. that's another reason. I just think this is that you have been at the forefront of a movement that I hope continues to grow, a movement that I think will disentangle us from, I think, some very evil oligarchical forces that want to control us. And this is the way to have that freedom from people who want to control us. You talked about the cities. There's nothing wrong with cities, Mm -hmm. but it is much easier to control people when they're in a city. Um, and when they're dependent on, on, on these supply chains. I mean, I think that's why you are a threat in many ways. And soon Sean and I will be a threat. We're going to be a threat. Yeah. Well, you can, you can rest assured. Well, I mean, I'll just say two things about that. One is that, uh, fortunately now with, uh, with distribution logistics as efficient as they are, you know, we, if I may do a shameless plug for those, you know, wanting to know, well, what can there be a difference in? We now, our farm, as of 2019, we began shipping nationwide. We never would have even considered that, you know, 20 years ago. But the logistics of, of distribution, you know, UPS, FedEx, those kind of things has really become efficient to where um, right now, just to show you where we are, uh, we, we can now ship eggs into New York City cheaper than you can buy them at farmer's markets in New York City. Why? Because when you defund the police and you raise your taxes, and you make such a difficulty for businesses to stay in business, the prices go up. And so here we are, we're in a very conservative, low tax, you know, low crime area, cost of living's very low, cost of living's cheap. And we can now ship eggs to New York City from Virginia cheaper on your on your doorstep than you can buy them at your local farmer's market. Now, no, I'm not trying to, trying to uh, diss the local farmer's markets. I'm just saying that the, the, these political you know, uh, socio-political issues have consequences, and and this is this is one of them. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. The second thing, the second thing is that right now the average American farmer is sixty years old. So in the next fifteen years, half of all America's agriculture equity—that's land, buildings, and equipment—is going to change hands. Half of it. Mm-hmm. We've never seen anything like that in human history, except through conquest. Now I'm not saying we're getting ready to be conquested. Maybe we are. Maybe we aren't. But but the point is that right at this time, this is the silver lining. Right at this time of of need, we have an unprecedented opportunity for land to be available because farmers are aging out. Let's let's beat Bill Gates to it. Let's beat the Chinese Amen. to it. Let's own this Amen. with a new generation of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, entrepreneurial, 
self-starter, compost-growing, conservative, self-reliant people ready to steward this land into the next millennium. So I'm so excited. Face farm, if you, and again, not, we're not just going to plug Joel, your farm, but we're going to plug Amazon again. If you go to Amazon and put in Joel's name, you'll put <laughs> all of the books. Uh, I, will, I, will, I will have one. I have the one that you- I'm getting more. Is, um, anyway, Homestead Tsunami, which has been fantastic. You, 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 you bring us through uh, a lot of uh, your family history and what you do on the farm. Before we go, one last, because we have kids. And you mentioned this briefly, but you, you, you talked about um, Netflix- uh, maybe versus fireflies and kind of what it means for kids to grow up mm, on the farm and close on what it means for a family that works together, that has campfires and nature. How do you think your life in the farm is different than you know, a family sitting in the city? With- yeah. Wow. Um, that's a, that's very near and dear Such to my heart. Question. Yeah, it, it is. It's very near and dear to my heart because listen, if you look at teenage adolescent problems today, every, I'm not a psychiatrist, but every, time I come in contact with anyone who's in psychology, psychiatry, uh, school school uh, guidance counselors, we are in an epidemic of youth mm-hmm. uh, of youth dysfunction. And most of it surrounds a general identity of self-worth. I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose is. And I don't know if I'm valuable. I don't know if I'm needful. Every school shooting, every one of these guys who's gone in and done a school shooting, they all felt bullied. They didn't feel worthwhile. They didn't feel valued. They didn't feel affirmed and confirmed. And listen, there is nothing that brings self-worth. So here, here's my here's my total, you know, uh, uh, farm farmer um, commonsensical view. Self-worth comes from successfully accomplishing meaningful tasks. Self-worth comes from successfully accomplishing meaningful tasks. Every one of those words is important. And, and the problem is that we have so abandoned our young people to the basement with video games and, and screen mm-hmm. time. They grow up then in an environment where they don't know how to do anything. They don't know who yes. they, they don't know how to cut a board. They don't know how to build a chicken coop. They don't know how to grow a tomato plant. So they come into this adolescent world not having a self-worth and self-identity of having been successfully accomplishing any meaningful tasks. And so a homestead and a farmstead setting where kids are gathering eggs, butchering chickens, weeding the tomatoes, running running the uh, the food mill to make tomato juice and can it, cutting off the corn to, to, to freeze corn and can corn for the winter. When that is is part and parcel of the family life, you have young people growing up with an identity, a self-worth, a purpose, uh, because they have viscerally participated in accomplishing meaningful tasks. And that's where you get self-worth. And I think that that if we are going to save the young people of our country, we need to get out of this idea that they're too fragile to break. We got to hover over them and protect them from every little possible thing. And we need to let them go out and play with the frogs, the salamanders, weed the green beans, learn some skills so they know, hey, I am needed. The family needs me. The, the table needs me and I can contribute something and I have self-worth. I have an identity and that that will set our young people on a better trajectory than they are. Joel, you are a national treasure and you are hitting in just that little bit there. Basically, what ails our country and I, I'm, I'm super moved. I'm more motivated than ever 
um, to live your life, maybe on a smaller scale. <laughs> okay. Definitely on a smaller scale. But um, it's such an important conversation. I promise you, Joel, so many of our of our listeners are having the same thoughts Sean and I are having. I think COVID put it in overdrive. Um, absolutely. Yes. And I, I'm inspired. And I, you know, Joel, I would, as, as we close the podcast, this one, I want to thank you for your, your generous with your information and your philosophy. You shared on uh, your own podcast, which is Beyond Labels. You share it at conferences. You share it in books. I, I think it's really wonderful and giving that you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help inspire people, help educate people. If they want to do this, all the benefits, look, but you, you kind of need a godfather of someone out there willing to share knowledge. And you've done that and you've done it with us today and you do it, um, I think, probably every day of your life is you, you share the love of the farm. And as Rachel said, you're a national treasure. I want to thank you. Uh, for joining us at our kitchen table today. Maybe the next time we'll join you, we'll be at our farm. Table. I hope so. God, uh, God wills. Uh, but again, thank you for, for being such an inspiration. Thank you. And you know, you're welcome to come down here. If you if you want to uh, take a little, as they say in uh, Australia, a, a wee donner down to Virginia, uh, mm-hmm. come on down and we'll we'll be glad to have you at our kitchen yeah. table too. We're going to take you up on that. Joke, we might get on <laughs> no, I, we are. <laughs> Thank Joel you. Joel Salton, Polypiece Farm. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.